Ephesians 6, if you have your Bible, Ephesians 6. We're going to jump right into it. Let's line and sink here because uh, I've got a long ways to go. And I'm going to have to pray that God will help me to keep off rabbit trails and everything else. Because I think so far of all the lessons I've studied, I'm like, man, this, is, this is, has been my favorite couple of chapters in the book. So we look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about family time. Spending time with the family. Last week we talked about family fragmentation. Once again, I'll put the plug in. If somehow you've missed... Um, one or two or however many hook, line, and sinkers, they are recorded. So we can, you can download them. You can get them. Pastor Scott asked to make them available. So they are available. So if you need something good to sleep to, any of that things, you can download them straight off the Internet. <laughs> exactly. So Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. We're going to jump right into it. Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and, thy, and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive in where God wants it to be. Dear Holy Father, God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to meet together. Lord, I ask you to please bless, Lord, as we talk about family time, Lord, and try to make sure, Lord, we as parents, Lord, and also as teenagers, Lord, are striving to hold our families together. Thank you for the study so far. Lord, we give the honor, Lord, for everything that's done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We just read it. We'll jump right into it. Number one, we're talking about family time together. The family is designed to nurture each other. The family is designed to nurture each other. The word nurture means rearing, upbringing, training, education, or development. So the family is designed to nurture one another. We talked about last week about how in family fragmentation, the family is trying to get stretched apart. The devil wants to pull us apart as hard as he can because he knows if he can tear our homes apart. He can get our young people. He can get our marriages. He can get everything. So the family is designed to nurture each other. Ephesians 6, 4 says, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A, the Bible commands families to spend large quantities of time together. The Bible commands families to spend large quantities of time together. When I first um, when I first read this and I was typing it out, usually what I, how I try to prepare for it is I type out the handout that I give for people that don't have books, and then I type out my PowerPoint, and then I actually study it. So I've already seen it a couple times, so I know what he's talking about. When he first put down that the Bible commands family to spend large quantities of time together, I was thinking, I want chapter and verse for that. Like, I want to know where in the Bible does it say that you're going to have to spend large quantities of time together. But then as I read what he was saying, it is impossible for us to raise a family though we ought without proper time. And so I understand what he's trying to say. And I was thinking like, hey, where in the world? Give me chapter and verse where it says I have to spend large quantity of time. But he doesn't have to say it. It's implied that all the things that I have to do in my family, it requires my time. So the Bible commands families to spend large quantities of time together. There are no shortcuts. There is no shifting in autopilot in parenting or in being a teenager, a godly teenager. Everything has to be done deliberately. And when we look at it, it takes the time to do it. We were um, over at the Jexes last night for the activity, the uh, teens versus parents dodgeball. And it was fun. And my arm's still a little sore. My wife's face is still a little sore from getting hit. <laughs> Josh gave her one to the face. So, <laughs> but we had a good time. But I, after, after the end of it, we were talking, Brother Jex was talking. And you could see through the woods at the Jex's house since the leaves were falling. Like this huge combine looking thing looked like a UFO going through the middle of the, the field at, after dark. And he was telling me, uh, well, speaking of Brother Jack, Brother Jack was telling me about how they, um, they plow and they harvest even at nighttime. He said those guys will be out there all night just driving through, trying to get the crop in. 
If you're a farmer, you know there's no way to rush the crop. There's no way. It takes time. There's no way you're going to plant the corn or whatever you're growing and drop in the ground, come back in three days because you need to get more out there and say, oh, well, I hope it's done. Same thing with our families. There is no shortcuts. It requires time. Letter B. Making nurturing, make nurturing time a reality and not just a concept. Make nurturing time a reality and not just a concept. Nurturing time with your family as in you see like something like maybe on um, Leave it to Beaver or something where they have, I was about to say TV, but this old school TV, that you see like a a family actually sitting down, spending time together, talking, sitting around the radio or whatever they did back in the old days. For us now, we look at that and we're like, Wow, who has time for that anymore? <laughs> like, like, really? In our lives, do we really have time to sit down and do that? But nurturing, we, it's something more than just that sounds good on paper. Well, you know what? It's my job as a parent to teach my kids godliness. Man, that sounds really good when you read it in a parenting book. But we have to make it more than just a concept. We have to make time for it. We have to go in and make the time and say, you know what? I am deliberately going to spend time with my family. I am deliberately going to teach my young people the word of God. Letter B, this is what um, Carrie Schmidt said. God never gives parents permission to hand off this responsibility to a pastor, teacher, or youth pastor. God commands that we parents and teens spend large quantities of time together during the bringing up years. So we need to make nurturing time a reality and not just a concept. Letter C, we're going to do it. We're going to combine quality time with quantity time. So we're going to combine quality time with quantity time. We're going to spend large portions of our time together as a family as long as we're going to make it quality. The time that I have, the old song, the Ron Hamilton song, Cherish the Moment that makes moms cry at graduations and all that. Yes, that it does come really quickly that our kids are grown up and out of the house. I know for some of us that have little kids, it doesn't seem like it's that quick. But I know for those people who've already got their kids out, they say it goes quickly. So I'm going to take their, their thoughts on the whole thing that it's going to go quickly. So we need to combine quality time with quantity time. So number two, um, here's how we're going to do it. Families are challenged to find balance. Families are challenged to find balance. We talked last week. During the teen years, the family is already in transition. Teenagers are growing up, starting to do more things, get involved in a lot more activities, as well as the parents at their job, at their work, at whatever stage they are in life, they are starting to get busy also. So the whole family's in transition. So we have to be challenged to find balance. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. When I read this passage, this is why I said I can't get caught off on any rabbit trails because this is a good passage. But when you see all the things that we're required to do as parents for our young people, what God required, it does take large quantities of time. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon thy house, upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. Letter A. We are challenged to love God with all our hearts. We are challenged to love God with all our hearts. So between our busy schedule, our transition in lives, this is what God has commanded us to do as parents. Teenagers, hold on, buckle up, we'll get to you in just a second. But as parents, 
We are challenged to love God with all our hearts. Let me ask you this. Do I, as a parent, love God with all of my heart? Fill it in there, teenager. Do you love God with all your heart? We live in a day, and that's why I'm trying not to get on rabbit trails, but we live in a day of such weak, weak Christianity. Our Christianity, like Carrie Schmidt, we talked about a couple weeks ago, where our schedule, God fits into it just like everything else. Our Bible reading time fits in if there's nothing good on television. Our prayer time is if we have no time. Oh, I got a few minutes. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. See, we have to find a balance in our homes and in our lives. And God commanded the children of Israel the same thing to us. Love, the God, love your Lord your God with all your heart. Paul said it like this, when Christ, who is our life, he is our life. There's no other, there's no middle ground. It's not that I sanction off little parts of my life and say, well, this is my schedule here, this is my schedule there. We have to find balance. Well, Pastor Burton, we live in a busy society. We do. But have you ever read the life of Jesus? I mean, Jesus, if you read, he heals, he feeds the 5,000, goes across, call the storm, grabs the maniac of Gadara, um, the maniac of Gadara, and then they come back, he comes back, and he has all these other people waiting for them. Jesus' life was never, well, if I take, I'll take Tuesday off, and I'll just go ahead and do this. I got a couple days here on the side. Jesus' life was never like that. But you always find Jesus making time to go and pray, making time to spend time with his Heavenly Father. Now, it is, it is very sad, and I'm going to read something later, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But we live in such a weak Christianity. And parents, the reason our kids and then their kids are going to be not care about Christianity, not care about God, is because just like I said a couple weeks ago, as I was challenged in my ordination, my family as a father will never seek to be more spiritual than me, most likely. Now, there may be a time where I have a son, and, and he goes out, and he gets on his own, and he just gets a hold of God and loves God and becomes spiritual. But most of the time, when they're living in my house, they are not going to probably rise to a higher spiritual level than me. So imagine if I don't rise to a higher spiritual level. My son, he raises his family. And he comes to just the spiritual level I was. And then his son comes lower. Down the line, we have weak, watered-down Christianity, and that's what we have today. We are challenged. Hey, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's everything. God's not asking for perfection, but he's asking for us to progress in loving him. Is that how our lives are characterized? Letter B. We are challenged to keep God's word in our hearts. We are challenged to keep God's word in our hearts. Psalm 119.11. We oftentimes consider it a kid's verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God says to the children of Israel, as parents, hey, you're supposed to hide God's word in your heart. During the summertime, we had in here the run the race activity. And I asked the, um, the young people to memorize verses. It is amazing to me how in Awana, kids are so excited. Charlene comes home with her verse, ready to say her verse. I got, I got it, Dad, I got it. And Jesus uh, grew up in stature and wisdom with God and man. I think that's the verse she's in, and I just murdered it. But she knows it better than I do. I need to step up as a dad. <laughs> but, when we look at, but when we look at all the things that our kids do in Awana, we say, man, that's awesome, that's awesome. Somehow, 
We get into youth group. Oh, we have to memorize a verse? You know how many verses I have to memorize from school, Pastor Burton? Man, I don't have time to memorize verses. And then we, as parents, hey, hey, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hey, you need those verses. You need to memorize those verses. Comes down to parents. What verse are you working on, Mom and Dad? What verse am I working on? That say, what passage of Scripture am I trying to hide in my heart? See, God asks us to love him with all our heart. But then he asks us to grasp his word and not just read it, but put it in our hearts. Just like I said, our young people are going to go no higher than we do. We expect, like we come back from camp. Man, I just spent two, three hundred dollars sending that kid off to camp. He better come back changed. But when we, but when we go, we sit through, we, th- we sit through uh, services all the time. Great Bible preaching. Nothing changes. God has called us. In Deuteronomy and other parts of the scripture, Psalms, he says, hey, I want you to love me with everything you have. Parents, your kids know if you love God. He wants you to hide his word in your heart. Somehow, just like I said, I don't know where, and it's the same thing with me. It's translated great when you're a little kid and want it. But somehow when you reach adulthood, well, I already know a hundred verses, so I don't need to memorize any more because I've got it all tucked away right here, and I have no problem with sin. I don't know what we're thinking. We have God's command us. We are challenged to keep God's word in our hearts. Let us see. We are challenged to teach God's word to our children. We are challenged to teach God's word to our children. Now, this is probably going to be I don't want to say controversial, but this is something that has a lot of times happened, especially in our churches. It is no one else's job, and I say no one else's, to teach our families, to teach our kids the word of God. When we look in, I, we had, and just in here a little while ago, and I'm just going to be it because we're just going to be real. I'm real. You guys, we're just going to be real. We had in here a game, a Bible game in youth group. The guys were all like, oh, not this. And we did not have one guy complete basic Bible questions. Now, all the guys didn't participate, so I don't want to, I'm not trying to say we don't know it. I'm just saying we did not complete it. The girls came up and the girls did a pretty good job. Most of the girls finished it. But I say to us as parents, we are challenged from the word of God. To teach our young people the word of God. It is not my response. I mean, it is not, well, I say as a youth pastor, it's not my responsibility. As much as I want to teach your children the word of God, it's not actually my God-given responsibility. There's nowhere in the Bible we bring in the word youth pastor, and I don't know if it's anywhere in the word of God that I've seen yet, but you know what? Maybe I haven't covered that part. But there's not a, a, plant, a part in there for the Christian school to teach your young people, about the word of God. Now, I appreciate it. I appreciate the Bahalskis over at Genesee. I appreciate what faith is doing. But it's still our job. And see, as families, this is where we're messing up. I, I read this article. I read a couple weeks ago, and this morning when I was, reading, when I was studying up, I, this, God brought this article back to me. It said, why Mormons are beating Baptists. And this guy right here who wrote it, he is not a Baptist. He's not a Mormon. He's just looking at it from a uh, from the perspective of why in the world is the Mormon church growing and the Baptist church, they, they believe, to be dying. He says this, Members of a Mormon church tend to know and believe their faith. 
Go to a Baptist church and you'll find very wide divergence. Nationally, nationally, 84 million people self-report as evangelicals. But of the number, only 19 million actually have orthodox evangelical beliefs. In other words, the evangelical church does a pathetic job in transmitting even the most basic, romper room, simple elements of the Christian faith from generation to generation. That's why Mormons are beating Baptists. That's from somebody sitting from the outside, looking in. This guy's a Lutheran, and he's just writing for a Lutheran article saying, hey, you look at the Baptists, you look at the Mormons, that's why Mormons are doing something, and Baptists are just dying on the vine. Because they don't, as he said, teach the romper room basics of the Bible. We are challenged to teach our family the word of God. Now, God's given us lots of different God's given us lots of different ways to do this. He has given us Sunday school classes. I appreciate what Cubbies is doing in the life of my daughter. I do. She has a missionary card that she's praying for missionaries. And I mean, every night, she'll run to those. She has the things that we pray for, and I ask her to pray for. I say, her missionaries are the Roberts. And she says, uh, Joshua, Rachel, Will, and Ann. And she prays for that they would have safety on the field, that God would keep them healthy, and allow them to tell lots of people about Jesus. Those are the three things I've asked her to pray for. And she prays for those things every night. You know what? As a father, I appreciate that. But you know whose ultimate job to teach my daughter how to, how to pray for missionaries? It is Aaron Burton's. Either way, either Aaron, you want to throw it out there. It's our job. It's our job to teach our daughter. I appreciate what they do in classes. I love that my daughter can come out of a classroom after sitting in church and memorize a verse. And have memorized it in the hour that we were in church. That's awesome to me. But you know what? It's my job. The other day we were going to get something to eat. And Shiloh did not have her iPod in the back. She's like, Daddy, I need something to play with. Because I'm back here. I don't, I don't have anything to play with. And I was like, and I was thinking, I was, I was about to pass her back my phone. I was like, no, you know what? Which, shame on me for not doing it ever before. I was like, no, we're going to try something. And I saw in my car, in my, I had in my cup holder, Romans 116, the card from when we, the, the um, teens and rise, Romans 116. So I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to memorize the verse. So the whole way we went to drive to get something to eat, we just kept saying Romans 116 over and over and over again. And my daughter, who's three years old, could say Romans 116 with like two helps from driving to our house to the place where we got to eat. And I look at it and I'm saying, man, shame on me. (laughs) Man, my daughter will grasp it. It's not that she's not willing to. It's not like I say, hey, Sean, say Romans 116. No, I don't feel like it. No, it's just a dad hasn't stepped up to do the job of training young people. And see, what we're called to do in Scripture is to love God with all our heart, to hide God's word in our heart, apply it to our lives. And then it is our job as parents to make sure, hey, I want to let you know that God's been doing something good in our family. I want to let you know what God's been doing in my life. The Bible says in, back in Deuteronomy, when you sit down, when you get up, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're eating, whatever you do, you're supposed to be teaching your young people about the word of God. And it's sad. In a day that we live in with more resources than anything, we do so many, so little of teaching. I grew up on Pastor Pirate. Pastor Pirate's an awesome way to do it. We listen to Incredible World. It's about creation. And a world, and a society where creation is creationism is looked down upon man there's some people doing some great resources right now there are i can think of numerous places that you can go right now and grab a sermon down to listen to right offline that 
I look back at, you look back at the old time preachers that couldn't do that. Hey, when's D.L. Moody coming to town? When's Billy Sunday coming into town? We're all going to go get over to town and listen to Billy Sunday. We don't have to do that anymore. But we do such little teaching. Right now on my um, Apple TV at home, I have set up myself a whole preaching channel. I can just turn on the television and grab my Apple TV remote and flip down, and I can have like multiple churches just going down, and I can listen, watch preaching all the time. And I do it a lot because I, I enjoy watching preaching. But I'm saying, man, in a, a day that we have so many resources, we do so little of instructing of the Word of God. And God's challenged us, hey, we're challenged to teach our children, teach God's Word to our children. Number three, the family must take make time together a top priority. The family must take time together, make time, sorry. The family must make time together a top priority. I know this from experience. As a parent, or even as just as a youth pastor, on looking, I'm looking at other situations, some of you may have seen the same thing. You can watch a kid with dead beat parents. I mean, their parents aren't worth anything. And I say that lightly. I mean, I say that seriously, not lightly. They're, they're, they're pretty bad. But if you watch those children, who do they want to spend time with? Their mom and dad. You're like, what in the world? Your mom and dad treat you like garbage. I can't wait to get home. Mom's going to be there. She hasn't been home in like a couple days, but I'm so glad that she's going to be back and I'm going to get to see her. We've got to make time with parents' priority. Parents, it's not that our young people don't want to spend the time. Just like I said when I was teaching time the verse. It's my fault. They're willing. I've watched parents, I mean teenagers, as they've called me. Pastor Burton, can you come pick me up? My dad's pushing me. My dad's doing this. And I've driven over to their house. And I've talked to their mom and dad. And then as soon as we leave, or as soon as I go pick them up to church on Sunday... We got to get back home. My mom's making cookies. You're just last night. I'm having to go get you from your house because your parents are so bad. Now it's why? Because our young people, they naturally desire a relationship with their parents. Hey, it's time for us to have the truth. To grasp onto that. Hey, my kids do desire to spend time with me. My kids do love me. Now, they may not act like it all the time, but they ultimately, in their hearts, do. God put it in their hearts to want and desire to spend time with their family, and we have to make it a priority. Letter A. Proverbs 23, 6, 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. They, um, I was at First Baptist Bridgeport for Church Triumphant Conference on Monday and Tuesday, um, and they had a session on um, on uh, counseling teenagers, and this is the verse they brought up, and they said they were talking about how it is impossible, and this is a guy who's not just a youth pastor, my age guy. This is a guy who has a doctorate in counseling. He said it is impossible to teach a young person godly values against negative influences in the home. He says all the time that he spent, 
And he talked about how he had been a youth pastor for a while, and he said how many times he spent taking kids to McDonald's, talking with them. He said he would take them in their house, go do activities with the same kid. And he said as soon as they turn 18, they drop away. And he said, you know what I learned? He said, I found out down the road that if the influence of the home is not pushing them forward, you will most likely lose that young person. Now, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. But for the most part, this is our job. Hey, teenager, young person, give your parents your heart. And then for us to say, and hey, I'm going to take your heart, and I want you to watch how I live, and I want you to mimic that. Can we say that as parents? I say the same thing to myself. Hey, Chilin, I want you to give me your heart. And I want you to observe my way. Chilin, I want you to give me your heart, and I want you to watch what I watch on television. Chilin, give me your heart. I want, to w- want you to listen to the music that I listen to. Hey, Chilin, give me your heart. I want you to love God like I love God, and I want you to observe to see how I do it. We have to make these things a priority. Letter A. Time together with a godly parent becomes a catalyst for every other spiritual decision in a teen's life. Time together with a godly parent becomes a catalyst for every other spiritual decision in a teen's life. Now, I think I've told you this before, but my mom, she was my dad. Sometimes he was he didn't he stopped going to church for like when I was eight years old, and my dad really didn't really care after that really much about certain things in the church. He would sometimes I remember my dad used to always quote Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And I remember as growing up, my dad stopped going to church when I was really, really young. But I remember my dad coming down to the altar and praying after churches on some, some, uh, some church services. And I remember he used to, he had a red Thompson chain Bible. And I remember that my dad used to get down a certain way. He'd kneel down and he'd hold his Bible like this. And he'd pray at the end of those, at, at the end of services um, when they called for an invitation. You know what, even as a grown man, as oh, I call it grown man, 19, 20 years old when I was at college by myself, I remember looking at a Bible, looking at all the Bibles, about to buy a Bible. And I looked at the Ryrie Study Bible, I looked at all these great study Bibles, Schofield and all those, and I saw a Thompson chain. You know which Bible I bought? I bought a Thompson chain. My dad hadn't been to church since I was young, young. But I remember that. Like, in my mind, I remember my dad with his red Thompson chain Bible praying. And so when I got to it, I was like, man, I want one of those. I bought a blue one. I was like, I got a, I got a blue Thompson chain reference Bible in my office. I have two. I've had three Thompson chain references since I've been out of college. Why? Because my dad, in my mind, even though he may not have been everything he was before, in my mind, I still remember that. The time together with a godly parent becomes a catalyst for every other spiritual decision in teen life. I can remember things my mom did for us. I remember having conversations with my mom after I came from college, and I thought that I understood from my freshman year everything about the ministry, and how everything at the other ministry that we were, I grew up in was wrong, and if they only fixed this, more people would come, and if they only did this, more people. And I remember telling her all that. We'd stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, mom, if they would just get back to the expository preaching of the word of God, and I would just go verse by verse, that things would change instead of this eisegetical stuff. And I remember like going at, going about all these things. And I remember my mom with tears running down her face would tell me, hey, you don't talk about God's man. 
And she would come down and she would just start telling me, she was like, hey, where were you when pastor did this, 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 and this? Where were you when pastor? And I remember all those things as a teenager. I mean, as, as a young person, like thinking, I got it all together. But then my mom quickly and wisely, pal, Aaron, why don't you go sit down and shut up? I'm like, yes, ma'am, I should. And because, because her and her wisdom, time with godly parents means a lot to young people. And so we have to make it, we have to make it a priority. Never believe, this is, and this is what Kerry Schmidt says in his book, never believe it's normal to not be close to your children. Never believe it's normal not to be close to your children. Because Kerry Schmidt in the book was talking about how that sometimes, like when it starts, when kids start to be teenagers, that we think, oh, well, they kind of need their own time. They go in the room and shut the door. It's because they need their own time. He said, no, you never consider it normal that you're not close. You fight to be close to your children. You stay there and you stay in their lives because right there, time together with a godly parent, I can guarantee you that if you have spent time with your young people before they go off for that week for camp, they will make greater, longer lasting decisions when they go to camp if they've seen that they go back home and it's modeled. When they stand up and hear maybe somebody else's voice, somebody else's voice preaching and saying, this is how you ought to live your life, teenager. And they think, well, man, mom's been telling me that for so long. Somebody else, there are other people that believe that. It's the catalyst for every other spiritual decision. Letter B, teens will reflect the true heart commitment a parent has for the Lord. Teens will reflect the true heart commitment a parent has for the Lord. I was reading a little while ago, and I thought this quote was funny until I put it in the context of this. It said that, um, I'll read it so I don't get in, so I'll mess it up. Children get in trouble for doing things in public their parents do at home in private. Children get in trouble for doing things in public that their parents do at home in private. It is funny. Like, you hear all the stories kids say or whatever, and the kid will come out and say something, a word. They've heard mom and dad say it at home, but in a totally different context. And it's like, um, I was going to tell you one, but you know what? It's not funny when, not, when it's me. So I'm not going to tell you that one. But, <laughs> but it's amazing what your children will say that in public, when they're around their other friends, that for you at home may say and think nothing of it. They do it in private. I mean, they do in public what we do in private. And that's the same thing here. Teens will reflect the true heart commitment a parent has for the Lord. It was funny. When uh, we were in Bridgeport, there was a whole group of youth pastors in this room for uh, counseling teenagers. And the, the, the um, speaker who did it, he said, you know those people in your youth group, those kids in the youth group, that their parents have their heart. And I was sitting in the back, and this is what all the youth pastors all of a sudden started doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. All of them. Why? Because they knew, <laughs> I know which kids reflect their parents. I know which kids are trying to love God with all their heart and whose parents don't. Why? Because it's reflected in our children. Now, I am not going to say for the thing all the way across, you can be a good parent and your children can make decisions to do what's wrong. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you for the most part, your teenager, your child is a reflection of you. Lots of kids in junior church, they're loud in junior church. You know why? Because their parents are loud. It's not, I mean, and I don't say this is rudely. I'm saying they are loud and like they, they're loud and they don't like to sit still. Why? Because their parents are. And you know what? It's not even necessarily a bad thing. They're just a reflection of their parents. And the same thing that happens in, as they get to be a teenager. Dad, mom, the things you watch on television, 
the things you do, the, the way you spend most of your time, it's only reflected in your young people. This is totally evident here at Trinity. When I came here, Trinity is a very, very, and it's not necessarily a negative thing, but everybody's really into sports here. They really are. The church I was from, there was a couple, you had a couple like diehard sports fans, but there wasn't that many. Here there is. And you know what? It's reflected in your children. You come in. I mean, I can come in. Uh, somebody's like, are you going to watch the Tigers game? No, I'll hear all about it tomorrow when I get to church. Somebody's going to come up and tell me, and they're gonna, one of the kids is going to say, hey, did you see this? Yeah, Verlander did this. I don't even know if he played, but so-and-so did this. Fielder did this, and they're going to tell me exactly. I don't even have to watch ESPN because they're going to tell me. Why? Because their parents are interested in it, and they are interested in it. That's why we are challenged to love God with all our hearts. That's why we're challenged to hide God's word in our heart. This is why we're challenged to teach our children good things because, see, they only reflect what they see. And so that's why we have to be deliberate on purpose about what we're teaching them. Let her see. Family life is a team effort. Family life is a team effort. Like I said last week, when Carrie Schmidt said that, the only way a family will make it in our current society is if they all pretty much hold hands together, look each other in the eye and say, we are going to make it as a family and on purpose navigate through everything the devil has. Family life is a team effort. Hey, young person, if you want to spend time with your parents, make time. You say, my mom and dad are too busy. Just like I said, you can go while your mom's cooking dinner and sit on a chair and say, hey, let's talk. You can spend time with your dad. Hey, my dad's out doing yard work all the time. Go out and do, help him do yard work. Spend time. It's a team effort. And parents, let's make sure that we're, our goal is to bring children up in the nurture, the development, the education of the Lord. And to make sure that we're trying to raise them to be the children God has called them to be. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father God, we love you. We thank you for, Lord, once again, another time period, Lord, we can talk about uh, spending time with the family. And Lord, I ask you to help us to make it, Lord, Make nurturing a practice, Lord, and not just something you be on paper. Lord, we need your help. Lord, I need your help so badly. Lord, for Shiloh and Tavian to be the father, Lord, that I need to be. God, to exemplify you, to love you with all my heart, Lord, and to hide your word in my heart. And Lord, to teach them everything that you've taught me. God, I need your help so badly. And God, I, everyone in this room is a parent, Lord, they need your help also. God, it is difficult. Lord, it is, there are no shortcuts. But, Lord, help us to look to you for our strength, Lord, that we could raise a generation of young people that, Lord, that love you and that reflect what their parents had in their hearts. And, Lord, that would be getting passed down from generation to generation. Lord, help it, help it never to be said of us, Lord, like it was the children of Israel. And they knew not the Lord. And they knew not the Lord. God, would you help our generations to come to know, Lord, because of what they've seen in us, Lord, exactly how they ought to love their Lord with all their heart, all their soul and mind. We need your help. Be with our service this morning. Be with Pastor Scott as he preaches. We love you. We thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.